But we knew when we got to this hospital, mm-hmm. when we walked in, the condition of everything, I sat down and I had to take a few deep breaths and shed a couple tears and just look over at you and say, we have to get home yeah, right away. Because even if everything is fine, I can't be here. If yeah. an emergency happens, I cannot do this here. Totally. I'm Alexa, and you're listening to That Sex Check, a Soulfire production. Welcome back for part two. Jordan and I knew before we hit the record button that we wanted to tell the whole story and not leave anything out. And we knew that it might be a really long podcast that eventually would get broken up into a couple or a few episodes. We were right. We sat down and retold and relived the most challenging experiences of our lives from start to finish. It took us roughly two hours and 50 minutes to do so. And I think when we hit the stop recording button, we felt a massive sense of relief. We have been carrying so much recently and have mostly been keeping it to ourselves, all the while feeling the weight of our decision to live our lives and our relationship out loud and publicly. We have been so open and honest with you about who we are and what we are going through at pretty much every step of our journey as partners, lovers, husband and wife, and hopeful soon to be parents. You have cheered us on, prayed for us, thought of us, and emotionally supported us in remarkable ways. And you have been celebrating with us throughout this entire pregnancy. We are so grateful. It feels good to let you in, to give you the behind the scenes, and to have an opportunity to lighten the load that's been on our hearts and our minds recently to share our story of grief, pain, hope, and loss with you so that you and I both know we are never truly alone. Here's part two. Part two, here we go. Yeah. We are back in Austin, Texas. We go to the doctor's office. We had not met the actual doctor of this office yet, even though we'd had the anatomy scan there, but he has a great reputation. We'd had a phone call conversation with him when we were in Mexico, determining what we were going to do. And several of our friends had used him and just, we had a good feeling generally about him. So we go into the office and within a handful of minutes, he comes and greets us in the waiting room. Many synchronicities here. One, there's this painting on the wall or a picture, I guess, a digital portrait. A gicle. A gicle, huh? Ah, oui, oui. Graphic print. Uh, si. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm French-Mexican. Okay. So this picture is of a lion laying next to a lamb. There will be a small amount of people that hear this that know immediately what that's referring to. Why that is particularly... Uh, potent for me is because I know that depiction very well. My mom has a custom painting of that, of a lion laying next to a lamb that has been hanging front and center in every home I ever grew up in my entire life. So she's had it for, I want to say like 40 years. Uh, Somebody in the church painted it for her and it has a, a Bible quote on it. I wish I, well, maybe we'll look it up at some point, but the quote is, and peace spread throughout the land, the lion fed beside the lamb. Because obviously the idea is a lion. Better laid. uh, Oh, it might, I don't know. Probably not fed, because if he fed. It might be fed, actually. Then he ate the the lamb's brother. (laughs) Maybe he, maybe he was a herbivore that day. No. Had some leafy greens. (laughs) This lion went vegan. (laughs) Laid by the lamb. We're just yeah. going to go with that because it's an image of them laying next it's to It's just other. a really beautiful portrait that you've seen. And so this is in this doctor's office. There's, you know, it's a very generic doctor's office. It's not, but it just has this one, there might've been one other thing, but this is the main thing that you notice when you're in there, maybe that I noticed. And so. No, I pointed it out to you. You did. Yeah. So doctor comes out and he's immediately gives us a hug, which is also not common uh, in this kind of medical dynamic. And the conversation gets going. You see that he has a ring on and this ring is the same ring I have. Uh, That's something that represents my fraternity, but all these things to get to eventually at the end of this 
conversation, he prays over us. He holds our hands and he prays with us. And it was just really, again, uncommon and special. And it was also a little funny, admittedly, because he was casting out demons and the enemy and Satan. It was very like charismatic. Uh, it just reminded me of things I've been exposed to in the past. So from there, we then go in to have the actual test taken. And this test, it's important to know it's not a risk-free test, this amniocentesis. It does have, what is it? I think a one in a thousand typically. I think if you look it up, it says one in 400, but he said that their particular clinic, their particular practice has a one in 1000 statistic of complications, complications like infection, miscarriage or preterm labor, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah. So that was definitely part of us considering this. Okay. There's a risk involved in this, but we determined we felt confident in, in that. So there's another anatomy scan, which was again, great. There's and nothing specifically for the soft markers of down syndrome yes, went was, in to see if they missed anything. Exactly. And so it was reassuring because there was nothing. And I think they said that something like 30 to 50% of down syndrome cases, you don't see any, anything on the anatomy physical scan. things. Yeah. Yeah. But we, you know, we're looking for things like the nose bone and making sure that his long bones are the right length yeah. and that there's a, a digit in the pinky and mm. that there's not extra fluid behind the neck. And there's yeah. all these soft markers because you could have those things present on an anatomy scan. And so you have a soft marker for downs and then go to do additional diagnostic testing and actually find out that you don't have downs, that yeah. the baby doesn't have downs. Mm-hmm. So, yep. so there wasn't any of those. Yep. None of those. Uh, take the test. And what was that like? From, I mean, I just, what comes up first is I felt so like sad and even a little angry and for you, just that you physically were having to experience so many of these things. I hate needles. Uh, I've grown to just be somewhat okay with them because sometimes I have to get needled for things. But you, I've now been with you so many times where you've gotten blood drawn or an injected with something or other. And so I'm sitting there with you and they're about to go into your, like somewhat deep into your belly. Uh, I'm just like, oh, I hate this. And I'm so proud of you. How genuinely brave you were and are, where you just do what needs to be done. You don't bypass the emotions of it, but you don't get lost in that or you know, consumed, hijacked by it. And so that was what was very present for me was mostly that, just how much I loved you and how proud of you I was and and how grateful I was for the doctor and the nurse. They were just very loving and accommodating and it just felt like a great environment. Mm. Yeah. So it didn't feel good, but it didn't, you know, getting stuck with a needle for me. It felt like a, like a, like a cramp of sorts. Um, and I just breathed through it and it was done, you know, in a minute or so. And we left feeling like we'd done all that we could do for ourselves, meeting ourselves where we were at and wound up leaving clinic. And then in the car afterwards, you ask me if I'm potential, if I'm open to potentially going back to Mexico. Yes. And why that was very surprising is because when we were leaving Mexico, we were like, we're not coming back. No. <laughs> no. We were very clear. Godforsaken place. It was, <laughs> we maybe had a 5% openness chance of going back, but we were, we were ready to be home. But it was like, once we had that experience and the beauty, even in the midst of this challenging thing, and we come back home, once again, to home without Biggie and just heaviness, sadness, all of our friends are still in Mexico seeing this experiment and experience through that we had planned for almost a year. We just, I presented that to you and you had openness. And Yeah. I mean, it was also like, you know, they got the amnio and that was on a Friday and they said they were going to overnight it that night and that we were probably going to get the results either Monday or Tuesday the following week. And my birthday was Friday yeah. that following week. And so, you know, it was kind of like, do I want to be, do we want to be here in a house without our dog and where all our friends are somewhere else and be getting this news, whether it's 
preferred or not. Preferred or not. Yeah. Cause it's hard to say good or bad cause it's not really good or bad yeah. anymore to us. It's preferred or not preferred at the time. And so, yeah, we decided that we wanted to be with our friends for that process. Yeah. To yeah. get the news. And the commitment. Have, yeah. And the commitment, seeing it through again, back to the lesson of life happens and life keeps life in and the show must go on. And again, that's I, sometimes I can sound a little over the top and insensitive, but in the context, it felt right. And so it also felt good to surprise our friends because they were wanting us to come back. They're also extremely understanding and assuming that we weren't. So we thought, let's surprise them. And so we get a flight for the very next day. And that flight gets, <laughs> I wake up in the morning super early for us to go. And that flight had gotten delayed to where we were going to miss our connecting flight. So at 3.30 in the morning, I'm frantically on the computer trying I to find another flight. I hate rehashing this because all of it is. I just wouldn't have gone back. <laughs> <laughs> totally, right? We wouldn't have gone back and yet we did. And now we're glad we did. <sighs> Right, I think. No. Okay, maybe not. <laughs> I'm not there yet. Fair enough. Anyway, we figured out how to go back. I have a meltdown. Yeah, kind of in line going in. It was just a lot to do the day after amnio, even though we got cleared by the doctor. Yeah, he thought it was a good idea for us to go be back with our community and our friends. And I just the way that I was starting to feel pregnancy was just starting to weigh. Yeah, on me. totally. And I, as you said, I just remembered. Another part of the story, when we landed back here in Austin, they lost our bag and we had to go back and forth across the airport. And I cried in the And you cried. I like, and like freaked out and melted down. Just a little bit to myself. Yeah. Because it's just a lot. It's just a lot. You know, it's, I, I, it's hard, this duality of like, I'm not going to break and women are tough and all these things. And like women go through lots of things when they're pregnant and it's totally fine. And then on the flip side, feeling like this is super fragile creature that's just uncomfortable and and like things are hurting and just you know I look at some women in their pregnancy and I'm like how just how and maybe and maybe it's just looks you know maybe looks can be deceiving and maybe it maybe I'm just making conclusions but it's probably both but some people yeah really aren't all that bothered and it just wasn't really the case. And yeah. so in the future, I'm going to rem- remember this. Yeah. I also just had an image of sometime, maybe six or so months ago, we saw someone, a neighbor, basically sprinting around our neighborhood. She runs a lot. Very, very pregnant. I mean, six months. Oh, long. no. She had to have been longer. But yeah. Further. Seven or eight. Because shortly after that, we saw her running with a stroller. That's true. So committed young lady, this one, yeah. she's like doing sprints and a, a dog across the street runs at hill. her. Yeah. And dog across the street runs at her and she freaks out and screams and we saw this. And so anyway, uh, back to getting back to Mexico. Yeah. So we got back to Mexico and we surprised our friends and we were immediately reminded how fucking hot it is there. <laughs> and, uh, and I, I mean, even at the point of this recording, I still think that I've got a couple scabs from mosquito bites that are just lingering. Yeah. Anyway, buggos. we surprise our friends. They're shocked that we're there. This is like a Saturday and Sunday. Monday, we're waiting for the results. They drag on and on. We're having still conversations with our friends steadily. They're checking on us because this is now two things that have happened for us that are keeping us in the center of our friends, like, like the center of attention. Mm. And you know, I'm, I'm trying in the, in this window of time, I am having a hard time being open to like a lot of down syndrome resources because it wasn't confirmed yet. And it was just too close. And I had like, hadn't come to terms with it, but in this window of time, I was starting to come yeah. to terms with it. And then come Tuesday, I'm like, okay, I'm imagining that this information is coming today. And all of our friends knew that. Jordan went on um, a fishing trip that he didn't actually wind up fishing on because he was seasick seasick the whole time. It was awful. He was gone and wasn't looking at his phone because he was actively seasick. And this, we were waiting for this information to come through and we decided that you should go on the, on the fishing trip if you really wanted to go on the day fishing trip. But you know, so looking back, I'm like, there's so many things I would have done differently. 
Well, here we are. Um, C'est la vie. So my girlfriends and I go for coffee at a little place or go to a cafe rather that's, you know, kind of seven to 10 minutes away from the house. It's just the girls. And of course, that's when my phone rings and I'm nervous because we're in a different country. They've got a call. I've got my phone waiting, you know, my, my, my ringers on loud and all that, because I I know that they're going to call at some point. I was just hoping that maybe it would be a little bit later in the day and then possibly you would be reachable um, or you'd be back. But I also figured that the office would be closed. It was probably going to come to me while I was by myself or, you know, without you. And I get the call and I'm sitting at the table with, with the girls and we're having this big discussion. And I just take my phone and I take a breath. My heart starts pounding and I just walk just outside of where the tables are inside and I answer. And, you know, the nurse is like, oh, hi, this is so-and-so from blah, blah, blah office. And, um, and we have your test results, your preliminary test results. And I just go, okay. And my heart is just beating and beating and beating. And I, um, she goes, okay, well, we just want to get you to confirm your name is you know, this and what's your birthday? And I go 8488. And then it just seems like it flops out of her mouth. Okay. Well, you, um, your amnio results are a positive for trisomy 21. And I just can't compute. It's like, I, it's like, I want to shove the words back in her mouth. (laughs) This bitch. (laughs) No, I know. know. Like I want her to take it back. And as much as I was starting to soften to the idea of this is probably our reality, it was when it was confirmed that I wanted to just push away from it. I just wanted anything but that. And I started hyperventilating just outside of this cafe. And my girlfriend's kind of picked up on something's going on because I was kind of, you know, outside, but like sort of in I. I shot and they all kind of rush over to me and sit with me and they know with my reaction, what information I was just given and they all put their hands on me and they hug me and are breathing with me. And I'm like, I can't see straight. My heart is racing. I'm sweaty. I'm dissociating. I'm just somewhere else and my thoughts are coming at just light speed. They're falling over each other. And then eventually there's a break and one of them says, okay, let's get in the car and let's get back home. And I just don't know what to do with myself at that point. I get in the car and I'm just sitting there and I'm just trying to breathe and tears are streaming. And, you know, we get back and I go to my room, our room. And so I can be in the fucking AC because I'm just overwhelmed with everything. And so I just go and I call my mom and I'm just doing my best. And the, the thing that kept coming up, which was so weird, is that like I was on the phone with my mom and I just... I'm talking and she's saying, you know, and, and we love him because for some reason, the thing that was the hardest for me was, will you love him less? If he's not perfect, if he's not normal, if he's not typical, will you love him less? Will you want him less? Will you show up for him less? All of you. I know. And it's like, to me, to everyone, I'm like to the world. I know all of you say you love him no matter what. And we're going to be in this together, but we're not really in this together. It's me and it's my family. And you're all a yes to an adorable little baby. that doesn't really show very much in the way of markers of down syndrome and challenges and all of that. Maybe health issues. Maybe he'll need surgery or some thing that makes him a little warrior, makes him strong. But then eventually he's going to grow up 
and will you still love him and will you still want him when he's not as easy, when he's more challenging, when he's going through puberty? What happens when he becomes a man and he's not easy anymore and he's not cute anymore, adorable anymore, and he's not looked at the same? Are you still going to love him? And I couldn't get out of it. I just was so wrapped up in what does this mean for us? What does this mean for me? What does it mean for him and our future? And it was just so much like standing underneath Niagara Falls as it just pours, you know, in my eyes and down my throat and I can't catch a breath. It just was everywhere. And then I had to tell you. And I'd had several hours of spiraling. And at the same time, like feeling him inside of me. And so I'm there in my mind's and then in my body, I'm like, I don't know what to feel right now towards him. And it was just everything. It felt like it was like the worst thing we could be told, but it wasn't. But it felt like it in the moment. And uh and then eventually you came in and and I told you. And for me the experience was Certainly surreal, 25% chance that this was incorrect was, is not a small percentage. And yet the overwhelming percentage was that it was in fact true. And I had all but accepted that as I think you had to more or less, but it was nonetheless very not real. real until it's, it's real. real and, and not real until it's really real, i.e. born, but nonetheless, we you had already, like you mentioned, started to, on some level, accept or at the very least, get curious and imagine what life would look like. And at this point, it was then, okay, this is real. Now we sit with the density of that realness and the reality <laughs> that it brings with it. So I, firstly, I'll say I'm so proud, once again, of how you pretty quickly went into finding all the things, the Instagram accounts, the podcasts, the books, the I mean, communities, the meetups, all this stuff. I did, but it, it didn't come easily. Yeah. I had to, I had to take my time with it. My friends had to be very cautious with me, gentle with me, but I knew if, cause it was, it wasn't like we're going to have a down syndrome child or child with down syndrome. It's not like we're, that's it. It's like, if all of this is God ushering us in this direction and this is meant for us and we're doing this, it wasn't like a, you're only going to, it's just you and you have a family that includes someone with Down syndrome. It's, and you have a platform and you have a voice and you are advocates. Mm -hmm. So the choice, it was much bigger. Saying yes to it was much bigger. And it's, it's not like an extra burden. It's just who we are. Yeah. And so I I just a little at a time I would start doing research and start looking up the different types of down syndrome. There's four different types and what they mean and the vast majority are trisomy 21 and what happens for a lot of those people and what does the community look like around them and you know just I would look for maybe 20 30 minutes, maybe an hour and then I would be hit with a wave of I can't believe this is what I'm looking at right now because here I am. I've never been pregnant before so I go through all this understanding my cycle and understanding health and wellness and fertility and tr- and then going through the trying to conceive process and I'm just steadily learning shit and I'm steadily just like investigating and this is, you know, who I am and a part of my process and I don't know, I just don't understand the kind the, the people that just don't like me. They just Kinda. don't. Yeah. I don't think you're like that, but you're different, mm-hmm. you know, um, maybe a little bit more go with the flow than I am, but still, I'm just like, there's so much information and then going into, okay, now I'm pregnant. Okay. Now I'm going through first trimester. Now I'm into second trimester and prepping for birth and prepping for postpartum and then prepping for the first, you know, like that's so much information and, and the vast, vast majority of that information gathering and organizing and processing and deciding is for a woman to manage. Like, even if I didn't have access to the internet, I would still be gathering information from women in my tribe and trying to figure out, okay, what is this going to mean for me and in the future and what to expect? 
And it's just, okay. And now we've thrown in down syndrome into the mix. And I'm like, what fucking else? This is just so much to be present with. And so I would just get hit with the wave of being pissed that that's where I was and pissed that that's what I was looking up. And then also seeing so many photos and images and videos of these families and these, you know, and reading stories. Now I'm in Facebook groups Now I'm finding the Down Syndrome Diagnostic Network and I'm connecting with people there and I'm just coming. And at this point we hadn't said anything publicly. We'd said we were going through something, but we didn't say what we were going through. And so in these groups and in these like behind the scenes places where I was like doing some research, and this was all over the course of like a week, maybe a week and a half, did I start sharing what was happening and getting met with empathy because I was, you know, behind the scenes, this wasn't out loud in community or whatever. I was able to be met with people by people who had direct experience with the thing that we were going through and it started to relieve me and the down syndrome community calls themselves the lucky few. And I was met a lot with as soon as that baby's in your arms, all of your fear and worry, everything you're feeling now is going to be replaced with love. And very soon you're going to understand why we call ourselves the lucky few. So I started to take it in and then things changed. Have you ever been too much in your head during sex? Like racing thoughts that keep you in your head and out of your body and out of your pleasure is one of the things that goes through your mind, maybe laundry. (laughs) Like, is this sex worth messing up the bed or having to strip the sheets and or comforter off to put in the wash afterwards? Well, my friend, I've got just the thing to remedy this conundrum, if that's you. It's called a splash blanket, and it's one of my favorite additions to our sexy toy box. Before playtime, we just lay out our splash blanket and we do our thing without worrying if lube or anything else is getting on my fresh bedclothes underneath. It allows for me to relax and for my husband not to worry if I'm worrying about having to do laundry or scrubbing some sort of fluid off the comforter after we finish. We even travel with our smaller blankets because to us, they represent play, sexiness, and fun. And they keep questionable things off the beds in the Airbnbs we rent. And that's worthy of a five-star review, if you ask me. If this sounds like just the thing to add to your collection, you can visit my favorite place to shop for all sexual wellness products, Yoni Pleasure Palace. Bonus, you can use the code THATSEXCHICK, all one word, for 15% off your order. And while you're there, why not check out the crystal and glass wands, natural lubricants, and body-safe silicone toys? There's always something new to explore at yonipleasurepalace.com. In that space, we, yeah, started to get genuinely excited. <laughs> I was calling him my downy dude, my down-ass dude, and we were imagining what life will look like and him being an older sibling to, you know, little brothers and or sisters and how he would be a staple to our life and our community. And people were telling us, thank you yeah, for giving them this gift. Yeah. You know, like our friends were like, thank you for giving us this gift because your son's going to make us all better. Yeah. Your son's going to make our children better. And in many, and there was one friend in particular that was like, we're probably going to love him the most. Mm-hmm. She would just say that over and over again. And chances are very high we'll all love him the most. We have a, a close friend in our group that has a lot of direct experience with Down syndrome um, growing up, being a part of that community. And so, yeah, we're embracing, flowing this, we're orienting to this new reality. And you were very... I think appropriately sobering from this perspective of it is more likely than not that we will have this child will be dependent on us the rest of our lives. However, that's not always the case. And there, you know, we found examples of people that their parents made it a priority to support them in being self-sufficient, which I think is a really righteous path. Um, and it's still not a guarantee. It's not a guarantee. It's not a guarantee. There's, there's but it nature gave, and nurture. But it gave us hope. It gave us hope. And it also gave us, yeah, it gave us a North Star because yes, there's certainly the quote selfish component of like, yeah, we want, we don't necessarily want to have a kid that's dependent on us our entire lives. 
And the other side of it is if we are supporting our child to be self-sufficient, that's a pretty amazing parenting, like upbringing process of like what that entails. And we felt that way and we had to essentially be okay with, and if he doesn't get there, that that's okay too. Yeah. And it's not, we failed and he's failing if he doesn't achieve this thing and can't live on his own, be on his own, all those things. So I just wanted to to say we've got a, we had, we developed a healthy balance. We are thoughtful people and we have really thoughtful people around us. So we got amazing, well-rounded perspective that I felt was just very wise and grounded. And so the first thing you Googled after (laughs) biohacking down syndrome was if if down syndrome was biohackable. Yeah. And what that, you know, obviously I, barely scratch the surface, but the short answer is yes, on some level it is. It's yeah. still a very real condition. Condition, Yeah. But nonetheless, things can be done to support it. We started, what you're getting at is we started to get excited. We started to soften and I still, every evening, you know, we were having a hard time sleeping in the same bed. So in one of the beds in one of the rooms freed up because a friend left, um, I was able to, you know, get some space and slept a handful of nights, a couple to a few nights on on my own. And even in this process, as much as we were softening and all of that to the idea and getting excited, I still before bed every evening would cry my eyes out and just, you know, grieve what I thought, grieve the stories that I made and the expectations that I had and all those things. And, and it, every day it felt a little lighter. And like I said, we only had this information. We were only softening up to it for about a week. Yeah before um, some significant changes happened. Uh, So I want to read something that I wrote right after, as all this was happening, we got the final diagnosis and we were sitting with it. One morning I was journaling and I wrote a love letter to baby Gabriel Vincent. Again, written after the Downs diagnosis, but before other events. Mr. Gabeski, my boy, son, I ain't going to lie to kick it. This is not what I expected, and I'm a little scared. Sometimes I'm a lot scared, especially when I imagine how tough life could be, potentially for you, but mostly for your mom and I. It feels selfish to admit that. I want to be the best dad for you. I want to have a great life, and my small self imagines I'll have to sacrifice too much to make that happen. I have a story that I may grow to resent you. I'm afraid that your mom and I will be consumed with stress, and it will cause unsustainable tension in our relationship. With all that said, in all caps, you are still so loved and wanted. My higher self knows you were meant for us. You chose us and we choose you. I can't wait to play with you, to step up to the challenge, to do things differently, to give you an amazing life. When I sit with the unmistakably divine unfolding of your path into our lives, I can't help but have faith and surrender to God's plan. You are a blessing perfectly intended for this family. I will always remember that. So you fantastic little fucker, bring it. Yeah. As scared as we ever were, the truth is he was always wanted. Mm -hmm. On August 8th, I went to bed. And in the middle of the night, somewhere like four in the morning, had some concerning stuff going on. I was in the room by myself asleep. And up to that point, sleep had just been more and more challenging. I was becoming more and more uncomfortable. I was having Braxton Hicks, which are often called practice contractions. A lot. I was told they were normal. I had them come on in about 17 weeks. I'd had some mucus past that was out of the norm, but also could have totally been in the norm, according to anyone that I asked about it. But at four or so in the morning, this particular night, I had more of fluid versus mucus or discharge leak. And it concerned me enough to where I called the 24-hour line at my midwives that I was receiving care in Austin from. And the midwife on call told me that she was concerned that I might be going into labor. So I, and just as precaution, she, you know, she was like, I can't diagnose or anything, but I would, you know, I would strongly encourage you to go to an urgent care or hospital. 
So I called Jordan, who was at a room in a room downstairs, trying to make the most of our situation, and told him that I think we need to go to the urgent care of the emergency room. And he comes up and we go, we get ready. Um, at this point, I just know something's not right. You know, it had been several days of just feeling like something, something isn't, isn't quite right. And so we actually get to urgent care. Then we start dealing with language barrier, with just challenges with being in another country. We go to this urgent care that I found online and he's minimal equipment and, you know, has like a little sonogram machine, an ultrasound machine. And I tell him the symptoms and things. And then he goes in and looks at, at baby on the ultrasound and says that, you know, on this little kind of archaic looking little machine, he's like, from what I can see, he looks okay. Your fluid looks okay. Bag intact. Baby looks okay. You know, I, I don't see anything, but I would encourage you. He's like, I'm just a general practitioner. I'm just an internist. I would suggest that you go to the hospital. He gives us the address for the hospital. Yeah, it's right around the corner. Go to the hospital. And once again, it's it's not clear where to go. It doesn't feel particularly safe and clean, quite frankly. And fortunately, people are just continue to be very helpful. And somebody was waiting for something you know, like something. A, a patient she didn't really know what <laughs> was going on more there English and than there was most people people in line around the building yeah people this is like laying now six in the morning or something like that sleeping outside and hammocks yeah. on chairs and dogs stray dogs running around and yeah everything looked like it was kind of falling apart it was rough and I guess our experience was that we didn't have to pay for anything. So I don't know if healthcare is free in Mexico or well, we if paid, hospital. We paid for the first the one. Urgent care, the yeah, urgent care. The urgent care. This was a regular hospital. So anyway, we yeah. get in there, do the tests, still navigating the language barrier and stuff. And But they had more advanced equipment. And same basic story, though, that you kept getting from both medical practitioners and our friends and just yeah. When I would just share with, yeah. When I would just share like symptoms and stuff and it's, I think people just knew that I was running a bit more on the anxious side. Yeah. And so they were trying to help me to calm down and to feel like things were normal. When in reality, what was happening is I was not being validated and my concerns were not being truly considered Yeah, because something wasn't right. Yeah. And that's definitely a lesson in the midst of all this, a, a big one, maybe the biggest in some ways of, you know, you intuitively firsthand, you know, something you knew something was off and it's tough because everyone around you is, and probably even more so the medical professionals are objectively looking at these markers and saying, there's nothing that we can see medically that would lead us to believe that something is off. Right. So but we knew when we got to this hospital, mm-hmm. when we walked in, the condition of everything, I sat down and I had to take a few deep breaths and shed a couple tears and just look over at you and say, we have to get home yeah, right away. Because even if everything is fine, I can't be here. If yeah. an emergency happens, I cannot do this here. Totally. And so in a sense, grateful for that experience to even though we still thought, okay, I, I guess you're okay, but nonetheless, let's get home. It's time. Yeah. We've, it's like, we've truly, our contract with Mexico is up as we <laughs> were starting right. to say. Right. I mean, and, I even got checked cervically and everything. Yeah. Like I speculum checked my cervix, made sure it was closed. There was no dilation. Yeah. There was no fluid, like baby's heartbeats. Good. Heartbeat was good. They were like, you know, we think you're okay. They did give us like she goes, maybe it's an infection, basically. I see a little bit of blood and irritation. It could be, yeah. Yeah. She didn't seem very confident in that. Yeah. So So then they tell us to get some medication from the pharmacy and we do, but we're also like, eh, I don't know about this. Seems a little generic. Don't know if we <laughs> should trust it. Well, we just don't know. Yeah. So I'm like back on the phone with my midwives. It's a different it's a different midwife now. She's checking on me. We go back to the house. I'm like, we gotta get just get flights. Yeah. And then I, I wind up having a phone conversation with our maternal fetal medicine doctor. And he's then saying, you know, same guy that did our amniocentesis. And he's sharing like, oh, you know, like fluid, you know, it's, it's a little post the amnio, but like 
a little bit could be, could be normal. The Braxton Hicks are normal. I'm like, but they're coming so frequently and they feel like they're getting stronger or harder. And, and he's like, yeah, you know, some women just like have them. And that's also true. Some women do just have these things, but here I am. And I'm saying it every time I get on the phone and every time. And it was only out of all of the medical professionals that I spoke to, it was only the one that I called at 4.30 in the morning that said, this sounds like you could be going into preterm labor. And so it's just hard to retell, you know, and know all of the, all of the times we got stopped and told, Oh, just calm down. It's going to just rest or take these things or you're going to be okay. Yeah. You know? So, so once again, I'm frantically finding flights (laughs) and which is not an easy thing to do when you want to find something that's reasonably priced, that's day of, that gets you to where you need to go in a timely manner. Like the first time we had to stay overnight somewhere. So we find something, we get back and we had a, like a six hour layover in Mexico city. And this is where things really started to kick up a notch because that day before, cause we actually flew out the next morning, technically. Yeah, that's right. So we stayed another night in Mexico before flying out early the next morning and you were okay. You know, that next day you were still Braxton Hicks and like things are happening, but you were you were okay, you know, or at least you were making yourself okay. Uh, yeah, we were leaving. So I think I've started to feel a little bit of a sense of some level of like peace, peace where yeah, it was kind of like, I don't know what the fuck's going on, but something is home. happening, but at least we're going home. And when I talked to the doctor, you know, the doctor was like, you know, just, just get home. It sounds like that's what's best. And you know, if you really want to see an, an, you know, one of the nurse practitioners, you really want to be seen right away, we can get you in tomorrow morning. And if you want me to see you, then, you know, we can, we'll see you on Monday, you know, like, so I was like, okay, I have options. I just need to get home. Yeah. So then in Mexico city, we have a six hour layover. We're trying to find somewhere comfortable to post up. We have calls. (laughs) I don't even think I've said this in the midst of all of this, we have each have several one-on-one clients. We each have multiple groups and group programs and I work and team members <laughs> and team members to manage and, you know, marketing systems and <laughs> all the stuff. People that we're accountable to. Yes. In the midst of all of this, over the course of this now, we're, I guess, coming up against maybe three weeks of all this unfolding. So like, geez, you know, I'm in the airport having one-on-one coaching calls, like rescheduling when we need to. And so anyway, we find a a VIP lounge, but as we're doing this and walking around big ass airport, you're really starting to feel like a lot of pressure uh, in your, your stomach, your uterus. I was contracting, but I was starting to feel like heaviness in my pelvic floor. And here I am Googling again. And it's like, could be pelvic girdle pain, could be labor could be any of these, this list of normal things and this list of short list of not normal things. But as we're walking, like I'm, I'm starting to hobble. Like I'm starting to like waddle around and I'm having to breathe and it doesn't feel good. And I feel like I remember we're walking and I felt like you were probably frustrated with me because maybe thinking that I could walk faster than I was, why than I was, but I wasn't because I was being dramatic, but I wasn't yeah, and hot and uncomfortable. I'm sorry, honey. You know, that was really challenging. It was probably one of, it certainly just adds to the traumatic experience of it all. Is that in an airport and I could barely walk around and I was scared and didn't know what to do. So I tell you to take a seat and I'll find a spot for us. We don't have to keep walking around and I find a spot, come get you, take you there. And we settle in, take calls, have coffee, lots of coffee. I didn't have lots of coffee. I did. Food, all that stuff. And I just remembered when shortly before we left to go 
they did our connecting us. flight. They brought us a latte and the little stencil. Art stencil was a pregnant, a pregnant lady, and they congratulated us on a on yeah, our pregnancy. Very sweet. But when we sat there and we got food and we got AC and we stopped walking, I relaxed. I calmed down and started to think like maybe it was passing. Yeah. You know, like maybe everything was okay. It was just like stress or something. And then, and then we had to make our way to um, the gate that our new flight was at. Only we didn't know. We knew it was, we left with an hour to get where we were going roughly. Yeah. But we had no idea. Like we knew it was somewhere else, but we didn't know it was like on another planet. Well, yeah. And it, and it, seemed like it actually got moved to like further than it was supposed to be. I don't know, but we start making our way. We get on a bus, we get to another terminal and there's just people, a sea of people. And then we hear someone who's yelling out into the crowd, Austin, 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 are you going to Austin? And so we're like, yes, we're going to Austin. And then a little flight attendant lady, like we stand there, we stand there, we stand there. And then the little flight attendant of some sort comes in, ushers us to follow her and more walking ensues and far <laughs> far and the ladies she's going for Speedy it Gonzalez. and I can't I'm just feeling so much pressure I'm I have to walk holding my lower belly just putting pressure on my lower belly to be able to go where we're get where we're going and I'm just breathing through it and we finally get to the actual gate and we're like just in the nick of time. And both of the ladies that are checking the tickets look at me and go, one goes, how far are you? And I say 22 weeks and she goes, okay. And then the other one goes, are you okay? And I'm like, I'm, I'm okay. And then they check our tickets and stuff. And then one goes, are you sure you're okay? And in my head, I go, I'm getting on this plane. I'm getting on this plane. I'm fucking fine. I'm okay. And I just respond, I'm just pregnant and walking is uncomfortable. And then they go, okay. So like in the process, I'm trying to like cool myself and like make it to where they don't, you know, cause I know that the flight we're about to get on is barely two hours. And so I'm like, I just, I need to get where I'm going, (laughs) which was in some regards, maybe risky, but but we got on the flight and Less again, I sat in Mexico and then I sat down and I cooled off. And again, just, I even think I might've fallen asleep for a few minutes and things calmed down again. And so I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm think I'm going to be okay. This is going to be okay. We finally like start the descent into Austin and I'm, I'm sitting in this seat and I'm noticing that I'm like kind of wiggling back and forth. I'm changing position and I start to get a little bit of a, like my lower back is kind of sore. And I'm, and my first thought was, Oh, I wonder if it's just all the sitting and the walking and the whatever. And then like something else kind of, you know, like another little alarm bell goes off because labors involves the lower back. So those contractions, like actual contractions, um, not the practice kind, involve the lower back. And so I'm like, I know I, I, I put that together and then I'm like, okay, all right, we land. We're towards the back of the plane. So I asked to go to the restroom one more time because we've got to like do this whole disembarkation process. And when I go to the bathroom, when I wipe, it looks like a little bit of fresh, like more on the red side blood is present versus some of the brown mucus that I'd been passing for the days prior. And I have this moment in the bathroom where I see, you know, the toilet paper and anyone who's ever experienced loss, miscarriage, birth, all of that is just, this is just such a thing. This like constant, like wiping and looking and checking and making sure everything's okay. And it's just can never get rid. Like it's, I don't even know how else to describe it. It, It's intense. So I see it and my breath catches and I just take several deep breaths. And in my head I go, okay, I think I might be in labor. And it's like the first time that I say that's really to myself and get out of the bathroom, go to Jordan and then say, we need to go. I I think I said to you, I think we need to go straight to labor and delivery after we get out of here. And you said, okay, but we still had to get off the plane 
and then walk down the hall, like this long ass hall to get to passport control where we had to pick up our baggage, go through passport and customs and then come out the other side. So, and there's multiple flights that are landing at the same time. It's absolute chaos in this tiny little area in the Austin airport. And I basically leave Jordan when we get to the end of the hall. Um, I'm just really struggling and I get to, you know, we get to where baggage and all of that is. And I just get in line so that I can get through to the other side. Cause in my head, I'm like, I need to call someone. I need to prepare. I need to like figure out what hospital we're going to. So here I am, I'm like in pain and I'm breathing and I'm scared. And I'm like trying to kind of come to terms with like, something is about to happen. And I'm also like, needing to go through this whole experience in the airport and, and I need to like keep my shit together to like call somebody and I'm starting to now be in pain. And, you know, I go through passport control and everything and then I get on the other side and I'm just calling and trying to figure out what to do. And then Jordan joins me shortly ish after. And I remember I look up at you and I just said, I think I'm about to have this baby. And, you know, a few minutes later, your brother comes and gets us and then we drive straight to the hospital. And when we get there, you know, they're like, what brings you in? And I'm like, I I think I'm in preterm labor. And they, they just go, okay, you know, like we're going to get you checked out. You know, it's kind of like, they don't believe it, you know, because like, I guess women come in all the time and they think that they're in labor, but they're not. I think it's both. I think it's And they want to keep you calm. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, this story is, the story's long (laughs) and we, I think just really want to do the whole thing justice because each part of the story deserves like its own moment. I want to thank you for being so kind and gracious to me and my family while we navigate grief and the unexpected. Our close friends, family, our online community, and podcast listeners have shown up for us in ways we couldn't have imagined. From the bottom of my heart, thank you. If you're curious about how to more directly support me and my family, or if you'd like to read my version of our story in full, you can do so by heading to the link in my bio on my Instagram page. Stay tuned for part three. I love you. Thanks so much for listening to today's show. If you loved it, be sure to subscribe so you never miss a new episode. And if you extra, extra loved it, make sure to leave a five-star review. I'll see y'all next week.